So once upon a time, 480 years before Jesus was born, King Xerxes lived. And King Xerxes was the king of the Persian Empire. The Persian Empire was the largest empire in the world at that time. And he was the king. He was the man. And he ruled his kingdom with pretty much an iron fist. And that's just how he rolled. And one day, um, they had come through a, uh, a long party. Could you imagine having a party for 180 days? That's essentially what he did. They had a party for 180 days long. And of course, he's king over about 127 provinces, all the way from India to Egypt up into the Mediterranean. And so they have this huge party for 180 days. They get to the end of the party, and after a little bit too much wine, King Xerxes says, hey, go grab uh, Queen Vashti. I want her to parade herself in front of all my noblemen because she's so beautiful, and I want everybody to see how beautiful she is. Well, wouldn't you know what Queen Vashti hears of this information, and she goes, no, I'm not coming. She says no to King Xerxes. King Xerxes gets so angry. He gets so angry, he deposes her of queen, takes her out of the position of queen, and he comes up with this great idea. He says, we're gonna have a Miss Universe beauty pageant. It's actually where we get Miss Universe beauty pageant from. I don't know, I just made that up. I, I have no idea. But I would guess in the Bible, there's no, other, there's no other place where a beauty pageant exists other than the book of Esther. So he says, we're gonna have a beauty pageant and we're gonna find us the right queen. The next person we have in this story is Mordecai. Mordecai is a Jew. And just for your information, all the Jewish people are now living in Persia. And what God would often do when his people did not obey him, he would take them, he would discipline them, and he would take them off into another country. And he would use another army, another country to do that. So they would pull all the Jews, whenever, whenever, God, whenever they were, God was displeased with them, he would allow another neighboring country to take them over and take them into exile. Exile meaning I can't go back to my homeland. And so they've been in exile in Persia longer than the United States has been a country, if that tells you the time frame of what we're dealing with here. So Mordecai is a Jew, and he works at the palace gate of King Xerxes. And he, is, um, he takes responsibility to, uh, responsibility to raise his cousin, whose name is Esther, because Esther's parents died. And he does the right thing. He steps in and takes her to raise. And, and this, little, this little thing right here going on reminds me that sometimes the greatest thing that you do in life won't be something that you do, but someone you raise. It's just kind of an important point of this story. So Mordecai is a Jew. Esther's a Jew. They're living in Persia, not their homeland. Okay. The next person we have in this story is Esther. And the Bible calls her beautiful form and feature. And so the king says, hey, let's invite all these beautiful women all across the empire and bring them into Susa, which is modern day Iran, which is where uh, the king Xerxes palace was. And so he said, let's bring all these beautiful women from all across the empire and let's have a big beauty contest and we're going to give them 12 months. Ladies, imagine if you had 12 months of nothing but beauty treatments, like that's all you did. 
Like your job was to wake up and let other people help you be beautiful for 12 months. That's not a bad gig right there, right? So at the end of the 12 months, the king says, all right, I want every beautiful woman to walk in front of me and I need to inspect. And then I'm gonna decide who my queen's gonna be. Well, wouldn't you know it? All these women cross in front of King Xerxes and he sees all of them. And all of a sudden, Esther walks in front of King Xerxes and he goes, that's the one. She's the one. She is more beautiful than all the other women. Nothing to do with her personality or what was going on on the inside or her character, not just outward beauty. She's the one. She's gonna be my queen. And Mordecai tells her, he says, hey, listen, um, now that you're queen, awesome, yay. It's so, I can't believe it. It's a miracle. I can't believe that you, that you did this. But hey, don't tell King Xerxes that you're Jewish. Keep that a secret between us. Let's don't tell him that. That's kind of an important detail of the story. <laughs> so Esther says, okay, okay, awesome. I'm queen. This is awesome. So one day Mordecai is working at the palace gate. And uh, he is there and he overhears two guys who work for the king as conspiring to assassinate the king. And he goes, this isn't right. What these guys are planning to assassinate the king. I can't, I, I can't just hear that and not do anything with that information. So he gets word to Esther. He says, Esther, listen, there are two people that are trying to assassinate the king. You need to get word to the king. King, gets, king finds out who they are. King investigates what's going on and he has them executed because they were planning to kill him. Next person in this story is Haman. Haman is appointed vice president under King Xerxes. Haman's the villain of our story. Haman's ego is out of control. He thinks he is God's gift to everyone he meets. Ever met, ever met anybody like that? His ego is out of control, and uh, he is so excited because he's been given this position. And every time he walks out into the palace court, everybody bows to him, and it just makes him feel good. And every time he walks outside the palace court, every, when they see him, they bow to him, and it just makes him feel good. But he notices something every time he walks out and all these people bow to him. He notices there's one guy who won't bow to him. And that's Mordecai, the Jew, who works at the palace gate. And he gets so angry. He gets so angry. He's like, why won't this guy bow to me? Everybody else bows to me. Of course, if you know anything about Jewish history, the Ten Commandments, that's what they live by, bow to no one except God and God alone. And they take that personally. Mordecai's like, I'm not bowing to Haman. I'm only gonna bow to God. Well, Haman gets so mad. He gets so mad at Mordecai. He says, I'm not even going to kill Mordecai. I'm not just going to kill Mordecai. I'm going to kill all of his people. I'm going to kill off his whole race. All right. So what's going on here? Here's what we know about Haman. Haman's family was, were descendants of the Amalekites. The Amalekites and the Israelites were constantly at war. When God delivered the uh, Israelites away from the Egyptians and in the time of King Saul, the Amalekites were always picking on the Israelites. And so God finally said, Israelites, King Saul, you have a responsibility. Wipe out the Amalekites. 
Just wipe them out. I'm telling you, it's a barbaric time in those days. And he says, wipe them out. Well, King Saul did accept one person, the head of the Amalekites and the, all of Haman's family. So Haman grew up listening to the fact that King Saul and the Israelites all murdered his family. Isn't it interesting that racism and anti-Semitism starts when we're children? And it started that way with Haman. He says, I'm not just going to kill Mordecai. I'm killing all of his people because I know the history between my people and their people. And I'm old. this is my opportunity to get them all. So he goes to the king. He says, king, there's this group of people who will not bow to you. They don't care about you. And every time you come out and say something important and issue a decree, they don't listen to you. And the king goes, what? He goes like, yeah, there's a group of people. Now, do we really know that there was a group of people? All we know, Scripture tells us, is Mordecai. But anytime, this is a great reminder, anytime somebody says, everybody's doing it, or everybody's saying it, let's just question that a little bit. He goes, there's this whole group of people, and they don't care about anything you have to say. And you know what I think we need to do? Let's issue a decree where we create one day, one day on the calendar in a couple of months. And on that day, we annihilate all the Jewish people in the Persian Empire. Wouldn't that be awesome, king? Wouldn't that be awesome? King's like, okay, go ahead and issue the decree, and this is your thing. Um, go, whatever you want to do. Mordecai. Here's of this scheme. He is weeping. He is upset. He's at the palace gate. He, he can't believe. He just read the newspaper and he just read the Twitter feed that said on this certain day in two months, it's a day of annihilation for all the Jewish people. And, and, the, and, the, and the Bible actually says the city was bewildered. All the Jews are scared. They're panicking. They don't know what to do. He's afraid. He's scared. He's trying to get word to Esther. And he gets word to Esther and he says, Esther, listen, <laughs> this is what's going on. Haman has issued this decree that's going to kill all of us. All of us are going to be gone. We're already, you know, prisoners, slaves in this land of Persia. We're already not in our homeland. But better than that, there's going to be a day of an annihilation where we're all going to be gone and we need your help, Esther. You're the queen. And she says, Mordecai, I need you to understand. If I go in and say anything to the king without being summoned first, it's the death penalty. That's just the way it was in those days. She said, if I walk in uninvited to talk to the king, it's the death penalty for me, unless the king holds out his golden scepter and he says, come on in, and he saves that person's life. And this is what Mordecai said to Esther. He said, don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. Don't think for a moment. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives... They're going to die. Who knows, Mordecai says to Esther, his cousin that he raised, who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. I mean, what if God's behind this? What if there's God arranging things on the chessboard of life that you didn't even realize was going on and you're in this position to save your people. Esther says, oh, 
gosh, okay. I get it, I get it, Mordecai. All right, listen, ask all the Jews to fast and pray for me for three days. And in three days, I will go in and I'll approach the king. And if I perish, I perish. So Esther, on the third day, she decides, she musters all this courage and she goes in to talk to the king. And I can imagine as she's walking through the palace, as everybody recognizes, oh, she wasn't invited today. She wasn't invited today. It's the death penalty. This is the last time we're going to see Esther, is our queen. She musters all this courage and she goes into the king and she recognized she wasn't invited. The king recognizes she wasn't invited and he's probably a little bit shocked. And when she stands before him, he holds out the golden scepter and he saves her life. And he says, Queen Esther, what would you like up to half my kingdom? She says, if it pleased the king, I would like to hold a banquet for you and Haman tomorrow. And I want y'all to come. He says, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna have a banquet. And then they have another banquet the, the, the following day. She says, they go to that banquet and they're like, oh, this was so much fun. The queen says, I want y'all to come back tomorrow for another banquet. So Haman is so excited. Haman feels like, oh my goodness, I've been invited to the banquet I am so excited. I'm now spending time. I'm rubbing shoulders with the king and the queen. I mean, this is fantastic. My life is awesome. But I'm still frustrated about this Mordecai dude who will not bow to me. And it reminds me, every time I walk outside, everybody bows except that guy. And his anger just burned. And he goes to his family. He says, guys, here's what's going on. This guy won't bow to me. I'm so frustrated. The family said, uh, hey, why don't you build a pole 75 feet high and why don't you hang him on it? They're like, you're the vice president. You can do pretty much whatever you want to do. Hang that dude on the pole and let's be done with this situation. He's like, all right. So he has a pole built 75 feet high to hang Mordecai on. So one night, King Xerxes can't sleep. And uh, much like you and me, uh, when we can't sleep, we'll often pull out a book or check out social media or, you know, just get lost down that rabbit trail. But sometimes we just can't sleep, right? Well, one night he couldn't sleep and he says, hey, bring the guy in who reads to me at night and have him bring out the book of the Chronicles that lists all the great things that have happened in our city. So the guy comes in his room and he starts reading. And he starts reading and he starts reading and he reads about this story about, he's reading to the king and he reads about the story how this guy named Mordecai saved the king's life at one point in time because he, he discovered two conspirators who were trying to assassinate the king years ago. And he stops the story. He stops the story right there as he's trying to go to sleep. He goes, hey, wait, 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 wait. What was done for the guy who saved my life? They're like, I, I don't know. I don't know that we did anything. And he's starting to think about what could be done to save 
Mordecai's life. Meanwhile, Haman's coming to the castle to visit King Xerxes, and he's going to tell King Xerxes, hey, I need Mordecai for just a few minutes because I'm going to hang him on that 75-foot pole right outside. King Xerxes and Haman bump into each other, and, and King Xerxes says, Haman, what must be done for the man that the king wants to honor? And Haman's going, well, he wants to honor me, obviously. So if he's going to honor somebody, and if he's going to honor me, which is what I think he wants to do, let's put a big purple robe on him, and let's put him on a big horse, and let's put a crown on him, and have this person be led through all the streets of the so all the people of the city. They just clap for this guy because he's so amazing, and Haman's thinking, they're going to clap for me, and I'm going to look so important. Somebody's going to lead me through the city, blah, 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 blah. King Xerxes says, um, hey, listen. I want you to go put Mordecai on the horse and put the purple robe on him, put the crown on him, and I want you to lead him through the streets, Haman, and I want everybody to clap for how great Mordecai is because he saved the king's life. Could you imagine what Haman is thinking right now? So Esther, she prepares the banquet. And she gets there and she's nervous and she recognizes this is her time when she has to say something to the king and Haman and she's got to expose this whole conspiracy against her people of annihilation. And this is what she says. They get there to the banquet and she says, <clears throat> there's a verse there. <laughs> there we go. Queen Esther replied, if I have found favor with the king and if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life. Now, she has not yet said, she's not yet said she's Jewish to the king. He doesn't know. He sa she says, I ask that my life and the lives of my people be spared. For my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. I don't know if uh, many of you have ever been to Auschwitz in Poland, but I got the opportunity about seven years ago to travel to Auschwitz, and uh, I'm a big World War II history person. I love that. And I had the opportunity to take a day trip to the Nazi death camp in Auschwitz where they would kill and exterminate 12,000 Jews a day. And you just, when you think about a group of people trying to annihilate a group of people, it just hits different. And so she says, King, this is what's going on. Haman's, the evil Haman's behind this, and this must be stopped. And the king's like, what? I had no idea. First of all, you were Jewish. I didn't realize this would affect you. I didn't realize this would hit so close to us. He's like, guards, have Haman hung from the 75-foot pole that he built to hang Mordecai on. 
And then Mordecai writes a new decree. And he writes this decree through all, out, out the, all the empire because once a king sends out a decree, it's sealed and he can't revoke it, but he can issue a new decree. And he says, listen, on this day, when, all, when the day of annihilation for all the Jews comes up, I'm granting that the Jews can defend themselves. And the day came and the Jews overcome, overcame everyone that tried to triumph over them. And this feast is celebrated every year among Jewish people called the Feast of Purim is how God saved his people. And Mordecai was elevated to vice president and took Haman's place in the palace. That's the story of Esther. And if Esther were standing here and if she were talking with us, and I were to be interviewing her, and uh, we were going to be having this conversation. If I said, Esther, what's the one thing that you would want us to walk away from this whole story of your life? What do, what do you think that one thing is that you would want us to learn? Here's what I think she would say. I think you need to obey God and leave the consequences to him. I think you need to obey God and leave the consequences to him. Esther in her life experienced so much struggle, so much tension. She knew she was going to perish if she made this decision. But somewhere in her, there was this character. There was this sense of conviction of my most important responsibility now is to look after others and not myself. And what's hard about us when we think about, hey, obey God and leave the consequences to him, that sounds a little harsh coming out of my mouth and landing on your ears. That sounds a little harsh. But when you think about the fact of how much God loves us, is it? See, obeying God pulls us out of our comfort zone. And it's the difference between living an easy life and a great life. Some of us are cruising on easy street when God's inviting us. Hey, why don't you just obey me and leave the consequences to me? That thing you're worried about, that, thing you're, that relationship you're concerned about, that career you're wondering about, that major you're thinking about, that, all that stuff, those children you're thinking about, why don't you just obey me and leave the consequences to me? Good or bad, good or bad. Here's what I've learned just in my life is that opportunities are often disguised as problems. And it was the same way for Esther. The problems that we hate to have often are the opportunities that God is wanting to give us. So as we step in, when God wants to give you a gift, he gives you a problem. And I know this is foreign to what, what our culture tells us, but when God wants to give you a gift, he gives you a problem. Here's why. And problems engage you in a different way. They challenge you to engage with God in a different way. They challenge you to trust God in ways you never have. They challenge you to grow up and mature in your faith, which is something we all need to do. When God wants to give you a gift, he gives you a problem. And I wanna challenge you, Predecide in your life. Predecide. I know your future's in front of you and all this, but predecide. When I get in situations and I don't know what to do, 
I'm just going to obey God and leave the consequences to him. I'm just going to obey God and leave the consequences to him. It's kind of like a, a situation that I call if Ida. <clears throat> if Ida is not something you take for your eczema. Uh, if Ida is the way that you feel when you refuse to obey God. If I'd have just done this. If I'd have just trusted God. If I'd have just made that decision. If I'd have just prayed more. If I'd have just spent more time. If I'd have just focused a little bit more. If I'd have just built some better and healthier routines in my life. If I'd have just spent more time. If I'd have just connected more. If I'd have just obeyed God. We don't want to experience if I'd have. So here's the two questions that I think Esther would ask us if she could have an audience with us, the first question is this. When it comes to obeying God, how far are you willing to go? How far? Are you willing to be misunderstood? Are you willing to be made fun of? Are you willing to be laughed at? Are you willing to lose a friend? Are you willing to lose comfort? Are you willing to lose income? How far are you willing to go? Because here's what I know. We're going to get tested, all of us. And in times of testing, God has given us a way to be strong in those times of testing. And here's how he's empowered us. When we feel tested, we feel backed into a corner like Esther, and we got to make a decision. Here's what he does for us. He gives us what I call convictions. Convictions are beliefs shaped by the scriptures and your relationship with Jesus, not by culture and not by your BFFs. Convictions are beliefs shaped by these scriptures over time and your relationship with Jesus. A conviction is people matter to God. Because of what Jesus did. A conviction is people can change. Because of what Jesus did. A conviction is human life has dignity. And that's why human trafficking is wrong. That's a conviction. And so when you're ever not sure what to do in your life. And God has brought you to a point. God wants you to have convictions. Because those convictions take over. When you're in a relationship and you're getting pressed to do something you don't want to do, you have a conviction about that. And you go, no, 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 that's my conviction. I don't do that. I'm not going to do it. That's my conviction. And I stand on that. Convictions give confidence. When you talk about your convictions, you find your power. Convictions lead us to where our purpose is, those things that you deeply care about. As a matter of fact, if you lack convictions from the scriptures and your relationship with Jesus. I want everybody to hear me right now. Their perception is you lack character. If you lack convictions, the perception is you lack character. And God wants to take you and me through a process in our life of trusting him, reading his word, and our relationship with Jesus. And all that works together to give us these strong beliefs where we go, this is worth dying on this hill, and I will not back down. 
Some of you are struggling with your purpose and you don't know what to do. It may not be about your purpose. It may be because you don't know what you believe and what your convictions are. Start there. And here's what I know. Courage, fueled by conviction, creates confidence. Confidence. Courage, fueled by conviction, creates confidence. How did Esther approach the king? She had courage because based on a conviction that I care about my people and I don't want to see them die. And that gave her confidence for her to say, if I perish, I perish. What about you? Second question I think Esther would ask us. When God gives you influence, or power or authority makes you the boss? Will you see it as a responsibility or a reward? God's gonna give a lot of you influence, power, authority, and you're gonna be in control and you're gonna be calling the shots in some of the organizations that you lead. Esther's challenge God's challenge, Jesus' challenge for us is when God gives you influence, see it as a responsibility to serve other people, not as a reward for all the good things that you've done. Haven't we had enough of watching leaders abuse this? Let's don't be like that. Let's see the influence and the power and authority that if God chooses to give you, see it as a responsibility to help and serve. This is exactly what Jesus did. Philippians 2 tells us he laid down his rights. And he came to serve and give his life. We have a savior who set the example of how we are to serve our world. We're to have conviction and we're to have courage. And there will be times that God's gonna say, I want you to step in. I want you to lean in. You can't run from this fight. There's other things on the line. There's other lives of people on the line. And I need you to step into this. And I know it's scary. And I know this may be new. And maybe you've never done this before. But I am with you. And I want you to obey me. Obey God. And leave the consequences to him. So my challenge for you. I want you to think about that one relationship that means so much to you in your life right now. I want you to think about that one career situation that you're thinking about right now. I want you to think about that one college choice or direction that you're thinking about right now. I want you to think about those important decisions that are just weighing on you right now. And I wanna challenge you. What if you could just obey God and just leave the consequences, good and bad, leave the consequences to him?
And the way that you will do that is as you feel the love of your heavenly father and he just invites you to obey him, trusting that he's gonna take care of you and know that he wants to give you some convictions because there should be some things in your life that you will put your foot in the sand for and you won't back down because God says those things are important. I wanna pray for you. Heavenly Father, I wanna lift up my friends that are in this room, that are in Oak Ridge and that are watching online. And Lord, we don't know when our time of testing is gonna come. But at some point in our life, Lord, um, our childlike faith needs to turn into grown-up faith. We need to move away from just hearing the stories to actually putting into practice what we believe about you. And I wanna pray for all of my friends that are listening under the sound of my voice. God, we are all struggling with a decision, a relationship, something that is so important to us that we are afraid if we give it to you, we're gonna lose control. Or we are afraid if we give it to you, we're gonna lose patience because you're not gonna move as fast as we want you to move. But help us, God, to be more focused on living a great life than an easy life. And that is found in obeying you and trusting and leaving the consequences to you in all of our decisions because it's because you love us and you've earned the right to challenge us to do this. So we surrender our will right now to you, our heavenly father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.